is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hey gang, my name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead number 556, recorded Tuesday, October the 19th, 2021. Hello everyone, welcome to the show. I hope you are doing well. Jason, I hope you are also doing well. I am doing well, thank you, Chris. That is that is wonderful. This is the, I don't know, the miracle podcast this week. I've been having a rather busy time at work and in life in general, which is why it's Tuesday and not Monday. We just couldn't get yesterday organized to podcast and today was a little iffy for a while there but but here we are and i'm glad we're doing it awesome i'm excited yeah very much the question is what are we here to do right i i don't know yeah i i'd be nice if i told you ahead of time but <laughs> but more fun to fly by the seat of our pants <laughs> yeah you told me i'm prepared all right good we are here to talk about the walking dead world beyond season two episode one and two awesome and that is because, well, World Beyond is back on. The main show is off. Now, Fear is on as well right now because in the world of Walking Dead podcasting, AMC doesn't want us to ever have a break, but that's okay. And we'll talk a little bit about at the end of the show what's going to happen next, but I didn't want to overload this episode with, with too many episodes, uh, which for a time there I thought was a mistake. I thought, you know what, we could have done more in this one. Well, we won't talk about World Beyond that much, and we could fit in some fear or something like that. But then when I made my notes and so on, I feel like there's going to be more than enough here with the first two episodes of World Beyond. All right, good. So that's that's where we were standing, and uh, I guess we'll just jump right in. All right, sure. First, though, let's do a little quick season one recap of world beyond here here's what i've got if you recall there are some characters named hope iris silas and elton four mm -hmm. four primary characters they are living at a settlement called the campus colony and they leave the campus colony to go on a journey to find hope and iris's father who left some point earlier uh to go and do science work with the crm do science. Yeah, they went to do science. He went to do some science. That's right. So the kids take off. Two other characters, Huck and Felix, go after them because they're adults and they want to go and help the teenagers. And they find them and eventually join them in their journey on across, you know, the American Midwest to get to uh, wherever the CRM is. They don't even know when they leave. Now, meanwhile, the CRM itself, led by Lieutenant Colonel Elizabeth Kublek, they are out doing some crazy shit, including massacring the entire campus colony after the group has left. So in a way, it's lucky that they went. Otherwise, they'd now be dead. Yep. And eventually, after a bunch of trials and tribulations and adventures and misadventures, in the final episode of the season, it is revealed that Huck is actually Colonel Kublik's daughter, and her mission all along was to bring hope one of the girls, to the CRM. And that episode ends with Hope and Huck leaving in a CRM helicopter. Iris uh, and Felix end up off in the, in the forest, I almost said jungle, off in the forest, and they run into Felix's partner, Will, who was originally with the CRM because he was there providing security for uh, Hope and Iris's dad. His name is Leo, by the way, uh, but not anymore. He's not doing that anymore. His name is still Leo, though. His name is still Leo. That's right. Okay, that's good. Thank you for clarifying. Yeah. Uh, Silas, the other guy, is, he surrenders to the CRM to give Elton and another character they meet along the way named Percy time to escape. So Silas gets picked up by the CRM. Elton and Percy are out there somewhere doing who knows what. And Jason, I wrote that all down off the top of my head, except for one thing. <laughs> Leo? No, no, I figured that out. Uh, for some reason, I couldn't remember what happened to Silas, which is, you think is weird because him getting picked up by the CRM is, feels like kind of a big deal. Yeah, I had to go to YouTube and watch a recap. Did you? Because I, uh, I had zero memory of what the ham and cheese was going on 
So I had to, uh, I, I had, I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I couldn't find a, a decent uh, write up on uh, Wikipedia, which is usually where I go for these you know, plot overviews. Uh-huh. So I, I went to YouTube and watched a, a five minute recap of the season. Is there, is there anything from that recap uh, that you think I should have included or that I missed or is it, is it integral to season one? No, other than Pete from uh, 30 Rock was, was in it for a little while. Right, right. That's right. I, I, uh, I didn't remember that at all when I wrote this down. Yeah, there's no, there's no uh, lasting plot that, uh, that happens uh, with Pete over the season one to season two, but I just remember, I don't even remember his character's name, but I remember that uh, Pete was in it for a little while. I mean, he's, he's Hornberger, right? That's, that's, yeah. the, that's the name I can remember. Yeah, that's, that's exactly him. Yeah. Okay. Well, well, that's good. Um, I did remember what happened to Silas. Oh, I was going to say, if you ever need, you know, recaps of, of things like that, go to the Walking Dead wiki. It's very helpful. Oh, yeah. Yep. If you're looking up characters, episodes, comic TV show, whatever, it's all there. So I refer to the Walking Dead wiki all the time. Super. All right. So that's the season one recap, which brings us to season two. And the first episode has an unusual name. It's Consecans or Consecans. What do you think it is? Consecans. Consecans. Kind of like consequences, but Consecans. I don't even know what the word means. Neither do I, to be honest. Uh, Consecans. I don't know. Episode two is called Foothold. That's a word I'm aware of. That one I know. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. In fact, it's two words put together to make a new word. Yeah, it's a place to put your foot. (laughs) Foothold. There you go. Yeah. And we're going to talk about both here, just kind of mashed up together. Uh, That's at least the way I did my notes. um, And we'll see how this goes. So the first one, though, it picks up essentially right where we, we left off, more or less. And just in general, though... I realized, at least after watching these two, that so far season two, these first two episodes feel way different to me than season one did. Like right away, right out of the gate. I realized that season one was about the kids and them sort of realizing what kind of world they were really living in. You know, they had lived in this campus colony that was outside Omaha for some time and pretty sheltered, it seemed like almost a, a normal-ish life growing up, right? And season one was about them breaking out and discovering the world beyond, right? Yep. I thought it was fairly small in scope. There wasn't too much going on other than that, right? We got hints of the, the bigger world. We got introduced more to the CRM, but it was really about these kids branching out. Now, season two, and I, won't, I know we've only seen two episodes so far, But season two, so far to me, seems like it's going to be about the CRM and what they are doing. It feels to me bigger and grander and less about the kids discovering who they are themselves and what the real world is like now. It's more about what the hell is the CRM doing, how they're doing it, why they're doing it. Hopefully some of those answers will come, but just way bigger in scale. Did you feel that at all? Uh, I didn't, but now that you pointed out, it makes sense. Uh, you know, you have to start somewhere and, you know, you have the call to adventure for your, uh, your protagonists and they had that call to adventure and they were, uh, moving out and then, then we had fish out of water situations, but now, you know, we've discovered the world beyond their, uh, their little enclave. And, uh, now we have the, the CRM doing weird and wonderful things, mm-hmm. which uh, I th- I'm pretty sure I figured it out and I'm pissed off about it, but that's okay. Uh, <laughs> we'll we'll get to that maybe later. Uh, so yeah, I would agree with that assessment that this, this episode is, or sorry, this season is going to be more about the CRM and what the fuck they're up to. Yeah. My feeling is that season one was just about basically introducing these characters, getting us familiar with them, giving them some trials to work through and stuff like that. And now that we know them, and because the CRM is really a focus of this show, you know, they're dropped into the other shows a little bit, but this is the one where it's really about this Civic Republic. And now we, and we know this is only going to be two seasons. This is it after this one. But now it's like, okay, we've given you these characters, you know, hopefully you like them. And, uh, but, but really what we want to do is explain what's going on with the Civic Republic right? And how it 
you know, how maybe these and how that story is revealed through these characters eyes is, is basically yeah. what I think they're doing. Yeah. I mean, their, their goal probably is, uh, some kind of brand recognition because, uh, I don't know if you noticed this, but the, the CRM three ring logo yeah. is on fucking everything. Oh, everything. Absolutely everything that they ever touch. <laughs> this logo is there. So, uh, obviously brand recognition is paramount to the CRM to, uh, to make sure everybody knows exactly what the, or who the CRM is. And if you're wearing a jacket, you better have that CRM emblem on there. If you're flying a helicopter, better have it. If you pick up a book, it's got to have it on there. Probably yeah. has it on silverware and everything. Well, and, and explosive devices we see right at the beginning of the first episode, it's got the logo on there. You're right. Absolutely yeah, everything. Yeah. Cause you, you need branded dynamite. Of course. Uh, you know, it was, it was C4, but whatever you need branded explosives and branded circuit boards and, uh, branded timers and, uh, you know, they probably have CRM logo earrings and, uh, it, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. I'd buy those, but give them to my daughters or something. CRM logo earrings. <laughs> sure. They don't watch the show, do they? No, but they might think it's a cool logo. They'd be like, Hey, it's half the Olympics logo. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you're right. It's sort of funny now. So that sort of brings us to my first section of, of notes here. And I titled this, what is the CRM doing? Because okay. we start to get a lot of information in both of these episodes uh, about it. And, you know, right off the bat, it's revealed to some of our characters that the CRM slaughtered everybody at the campus colony and Omaha, right? This is hundreds of thousands of people. And the first episode opens with this scene where they are leading a column of walkers to Omaha overrunning it. So they call them, they call a large group of zombies a column, which I thought was an interesting term. Well, it's a, it's a, that's, it's a military term, right? Yeah. When you have a, when you have an attack column, it's a, you have certain columns going into, uh, into enemy territory or to meet the enemy. Right. Uh, it makes sense. Right. It's okay. So, I mean, that's, I didn't really know that, but that's fine. I just thought it was kind of a, a interesting way to describe it, but I liked it. But during this scene, it's mentioned that Portland, one of the other communities is concerned about the communication break. And does that just mean that Portland was concerned about the fact that they could no longer communicate with the campus or Omaha because they're not there anymore? Or, or is the Civic Republic sort of gone rogue and not communicating with their allies anymore? I think it might be both in a way. I'm not sure. Yeah. I, I'm really just simply not sure. It could be either or both. Yeah. I, I, I'm not totally sure either, but either way, I, I do think the Civic Republic is up to something here that, um, that the other allies, well, the only one left, I guess, is, is the only one left Portland. I forget. Uh, Civic Republic, Portland, and Omaha. Those are the three, right? Yes. Yeah. So Portland's the only one left, and it's probably only not been overrun because it's too far away. Um, but in this scene where Kublik and her, I don't know, deputy or whoever are standing up on the hill watching the, the column come towards Omaha, she says this is only the beginning. And I start thinking, all right, well, what are they up to? Like, why are they taking out all these people who are supposed to be their allies. And even, I mean, the friggin' rings and the logo are supposed to represent these, these colonies. Right. Uh, yet here they are doing something pretty aggressive <laughs> against their friends. Yeah. Well, it makes sense. You want me to tell you what's going on? You want me to spoil the whole season? Well, I mean, you're just speculating, right? So yeah. Well, it's speculation, but it's also, I think what they're doing is uh, the answer to the zombie apocalypse that uh, Max Brooks uh, put in World War Z, the novel, not the movie. The movie doesn't really uh, address it, but the way the uh, the U.S. military deals with the zombie apocalypse and how they're able to recover from it is not only have an enclave of uh, people in order to protect them and to, uh, to have something, a society to continue, but also sacrifice other people so that the zombies are distracted from the, uh, the people you're trying to protect. So they have these, they're dealing with these columns of a hundred thousand zombies, like mega hordes, mm -hmm. right? Super huge groups of zombies that are just laying waste to whatever is in front of them. There's no stopping them. There's no, uh, 
basically you can't do anything about them except direct them somewhere. And in order to direct them somewhere, you have to sacrifice some people in order to have the zombies be able to, I'm not even sure, because why would you want to direct them to uh, humans when you could direct them to somewhere that doesn't have humans? They're just going to, they're just zombies, they're just wandering around. But I think that what the CRM is doing is redirecting these zombie hordes uh, to communities that they're willing to sacrifice in order to save the main uh, civic republic. But how, I mean, how does that make sense? Because they're they're just they're just going to have to redirect them around forever, and eventually there's going to be no other communities to to hit. Like you said, why not why not just direct them into the ocean or something, or you know, or to somewhere. Uh, you know, where <laughs> direct them all into the Grand Canyon and they'll fall in and get stuck, you know, or uh, and, uh, the, the only, the only analogy I can think of is that, uh, if, uh, you and me are in the woods and, uh, there was a grizzly bear, yeah. uh, basically you don't have to outrun the grizzly bear. You just have to outrun me, which is not really hard. It's just, I walk about as fast as a zombie. So, uh, basically you have to sacrifice somebody to the thing that's going to eat you so that you can survive. And I think that that's what the CRM is doing. I know, but it- Civic Republic is doing. Sure, but it makes sense for bears because while the bear is eating you, I can get away and then the bear will be full and won't come after me. With zombies, they always will come after you. It's It's just you're delaying the inevitable if you're just marching them around and around in a circle. I mean, unless you continue doing that forever. So I, I don't know. I'm not totally clear on, and I don't think we know this yet, but I'm not totally clear on, on why they're taking out these other colonies, unless for some reason, you know, the CRM views them as a threat, but it seems like at least in the past, up until this point, they were, they were friendly with them or, you know, allied with them. So, I mean, that doesn't mean that they can't break the truce or do something like this. Uh, but I just don't think we know exactly why they're doing it yet. I, I, I see the problem uh, the, uh, with the finer points of this plan. Uh, I think that uh, ultimately what they're doing is they're sacrificing uh, communities they see as expendable. Right. So uh, exactly why and how they're uh, uh, they're going to get away with that is is you know the finer details that we can we can get to. What pisses me off is that I think that they're doing that, and that's exactly what Max Max Brooks did in uh, World War Z, uh, which you know came out before uh, the Walking Dead at all. Like mm-hmm. it was it was before the Walking Dead. It might even be around the time. I'm not sure when it came out compared to the comics, but. Uh, if they do that, they're just rehashing old storylines from other zombie properties from, you know, a decade ago. And if that's the case, and I think it is, I'm pissed off about it because come up with your own fucking ideas. No, yeah, I hear you. But I think the, it will come down to the reasons for it, right? Yes, they're doing something similar, but why is the question and, and what do they gain from it? What do they benefit from it? And that's what could be more interesting, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Um, anyways, so they're they're up to that. Now, we learn a lot more about the CRM, too, across these two episodes. Uh, one of the lines that Lieutenant Kublik um, delivers is she says that they are working towards, quote, building an apparatus of knowledge and research to save humanity. And then... We get a scene in the second episode or a series of scenes where I think a lot more information is revealed along what she means by that during a tour of the CRM facility that Layla gives hope. So, and Layla, so Layla, if you recall, is that other scientist that's working there and she's uh, the girlfriend or partner of um, Leo Bennett, Iris and Hope's father. We met her in season one. Uh, so Layla gives gives Hope this tour, and she's rather forthcoming with information on the tour. Now, that does sort of make sense because they've brought Hope there in hope that she will dedicate her life to science and work with them and try to further their research and stuff like that. Um, but what Layla, or is it Lila? Shoot, I think it's Lila. Anyways, what she is, what she says is that they are trying to find out basically why 
people turn into zombies? She says, is it fungal, bacterial, or viral? And she reveals that it slows down human decomposition rate. And that's what keeps them animated. And what they're trying to do is find out what triggers dead people to turn and then how they can use science to disable those triggers. Yep. Which I thought was all pretty interesting and a little a little anti-Walking Dead, to be honest with you. Like, until now, Kirkman has always long said, I'm not interested in what caused it. I'm not interested in what's going to cure it or solve it. I'm just interested in how the characters deal with it day to day in the moment. Yet here we are on World Beyond with all this story about um, trying to basically find a cure, slow it down, do whatever. So that makes me think that Kirkman has nothing to do with this show anymore. <laughs> well, yes and no. Other than I collecting mean, big paychecks, right? Well, yeah, that's that's the thing is, uh, you know, uh, somebody walked into his uh, into his house, into his study and said, we want to, you know, start looking at uh, a scientific explanation for uh, zombieism. And he replies with, I've never really wanted to go there. And then they hand him two bags of money, you know, with mm-hmm. the ones with the big dollar signs on them. Of course. Uh, and he, he grabs out of them and says, yeah, do whatever you want. <laughs> no problem. Well, that's what I'm thinking. You know, he's, uh, he's moved on, right? He's doing other things and he's handed over the keys to the Walking Dead universe to Gimple and everyone at AMC, I, I suppose. Now, I don't know that. Maybe he's totally on board. Maybe he came to them and said, you know what? I've changed my mind. I want to start looking at these sorts of things on The Walking Dead. So why not do it in the TV shows since the comic is not running anymore? Mm-hmm. This is what we're going to do. Um, but I was a little surprised at how much information they provided to us in in this show on this one through these conversations between Lila and Hope. In fact, it, it goes even farther because uh, she shows Hope a video of her dad, Leo, and he provides more information. He says that they fused a bio recorder to the brain stem of a zombie and it can analyze the dead's biological responses to environmental stimuli and they use it to predict behavior. And he even said they're trying to modify a fungus that can be injected into the dead, which will accelerate their rate of decay, which is essentially what she was saying. If we can accelerate that again so that they don't decay so slowly, uh, it will neutralize them as a threat because the dead will just be dead or at least decayed enough that they can't move. Um, so this is kind of what the CRM is doing, uh, scientific science wise anyways. And it all came out in these first two episodes. Yeah. A bio, you know, a bio recorder. That's, that's ridiculous. He, he did say, it's kind of silly. He did say it was something they developed. So if it's not a real thing, it's because Leo Bennett. Well, no, of course it's not a real thing. It's, uh, (laughs) you know, you're not able to, you know, record, uh, you know, electrical stimuli, bioelectrical stimuli in the brainstem in order to play it back later. Are you or sure? Understand it? That I'm sound, pretty sure. That sounds like a thing scientists could do. I mean, you can record all kinds of of bio uh, rhythmy type stuff from a human body. I think. Yeah, I don't know. Seems kind of it's a little far fetchy. But I mean, what if it's just like recording? electrical stimuli in muscles or heart rate or things like that. Now, I know zombies probably don't have a beating heart. That's kind of one of the things, but applying it to humans, living humans, like, you know, I've been to a sleep clinic. You've been to a sleep clinic. You get hooked up to all these, all this bullshit and then sleep there. And they record all kinds of data about your, your body as you try to sleep overnight. Um, If you think about it like that, it's just applied to the one functioning portion of a zombie, which is its brainstem. How much data they can get, I don't know, but I think it's... I have skepticism, and yeah. I think it's a little far-fetched, but, you know, whatever. I mean, sure, <laughs> you can record things, but, uh, you know, the neural neuroelectrical symbols, symbols uh, signals in your brainstem, I'm not sure that they have the ability to... Uh, record those. Yeah, I mean, I don't know either. I'm just, I'm just saying. It, it occurred to me that it was, it felt like it was within the realm of possibility, and right. maybe that's uh, not something I should be worrying about too much when watching a zombie show. Uh, yeah. yeah. So why are they bothering doing that then? I, I don't know. This is why I think Robert Kirkman, uh, 
was you know was right in saying that uh, you know he's not interested in explaining this or exploring this because it's not about this mm-hmm. it's about uh survival in uh the, the apocalypse right just happens to be a zombie apocalypse instead of a you know a some other kind of apocalypse nuclear apocalypse or robot apocalypse on? robot apo- robot uprising yeah yeah all good stuff yeah yeah um I, I, I get it, and I totally agree with you that The Walking Dead is not really about that, but I do think that it's okay, certainly at this point in the, you know, 10 years of Walking Dead TV shows, 11 years, that it's, I think it's okay that they're trying to branch out a little bit. Whether you like it or not, I mean, that's a different question, of course, uh, but I don't fault them for trying to to do something new here because how many walking dead shows can we have that are all about exactly the same thing? Seven. Well, probably more if you ask the AMC people, <laughs> but, but we'll you find get, out. Yeah, we'll find out. But you know, you get my point, right? Just people we've, we've complained a little bit and lots of people have about how villains on the main show are a little bit rinse and repeat. They show up, they're horrible and our main characters have to find a way to deal with them and survive. Uh, if, if there were seven shows all doing that, you know, that would be like, what's the point? So I kind of don't fault them for trying something a little different here, how successful it's going to be, you know, we'll find out by the end of the season or be able to at least make an opinion towards the end of the season. Uh, but I also see your point in that it's kind of a little weird and silly so far. Right. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I wanted to say about Lila is, uh, now I'm doubting myself of how to pronounce her name, Lila. Uh, I wanted to say that we find out right at the end, there's a bit of a twist at the end of episode two, because it seems that she is not simply genuinely involved with Dr. Leo because she's reporting back to Kublik and telling her things like hope seems to be coming around. She reveals that Leo's commitment to the CRM is wavering a little bit. And Kublik says that Lila has to keep Leo motivated, quote unquote, motivated to, to do his job and to do his work, uh, which to me means, well, she's not really in a genuine relationship with him. She's been placed there or put into this role to encourage him and keep him doing what he's doing, which I didn't yep. see coming at all. No, it was a bit of a surprise. So uh, that's going to be uh, that's going to be interesting for sure. I mean, that has to be one of the at least interpersonal dramatic points for season two, right? How when it is discovered that this is the case by Leo, how he reacts and what they do and what that does. You know, if I had to guess, he'll find out. That'll push him over the edge away from the CRM and will want to flee with his, with his children, basically. Yeah, I would think so. You know, I can't, uh, I can't imagine that that won't happen, but I don't know. And then the final basically bit of that scene is she asks Kublik when she'll be getting her another test subject. So I guess she hasn't had a test subject in a while, um, to record the bio rhythms of, or whatever else they're doing to them. Yeah. So, who's that test subject going to be? I'm curious. Um, Percy? <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> Percy, whom we haven't seen yet in season two. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's going to be Percy. All right. Well, a- anything else about what the hell the CRM is doing? That's that's everything I had there, Jason. And I do feel like it was uh, more than I expected to get, at first, certainly in two episodes. Yeah, there was a lot. There was a lot there. Yeah. Uh, all right. How about Hope's journey? So in the first episode, um, you know, I, I had said that uh, Hope and the CRM, Kublik and them were flying away in a helicopter, presumably to take Hope to their facility, but they don't. Instead, they take her to Albany, New York and kind of send her on a journey of self-discovery. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they say that they want Hope to think more positively about the future. Nobody makes it alone. 
And Kublik straight up says to her, rebellious troublemakers are risks to us. We can't have you working with us if you are any kind of like free thinker and we can't have that. So if you're going to be like that in any way, we don't want you, even though we really want you. Yeah, we're fighting zombies here. What we need is more zombies. Like <laughs> we, we more need... zombie type, you know, don't think for yourself. Don't do anything. Uh, yeah. Just, uh, you know, toe the line. Be, uh, be a human zombie so that we can use you to fight the zombies. I mean, you ha- she's saying you have to be 100% dedicated. Don't question what's going on. Just be, have faith in what we're trying to do here and do it. And that's, uh, you know, a lot to ask in a way, but also strange that they just say it straight out right and admit to it in another way, right? Like, yeah, you know, it's, it's unusual for the people in power to straight up admit that that's what they're doing to, or that's how they approach their, their work with other people. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, I mean, I've tried to many times to explain that very concept to a five-year-old uh-huh. uh, with varying levels of success. <laughs> well, I guess it sometimes works on five-year-olds, right? Yeah. I, we really need your help, uh, in order to, uh, to get you to wherever you need to go. We really got to get some socks on. We're going to need, uh, we're going to need you to trust me that, uh, the socks are important and then we're going to need those. Uh, and then, you know, 10 minutes later we have socks on feet and we can leave the house. <laughs> well, that's good. Uh, in, in this case, the socks are a 100% buy-in commitment to what the CRM is selling. Yeah. Reasoning and logic. I can't wait for that to kick in fully. That would be great. Yeah. (laughs) It takes a long time. Let me tell you. Yeah. Well, it seems that way. Yeah. Now, when Kublik sends Hope away, or Hope kind of makes the choice herself to leave right after Kublik tells her all this, they're on this rooftop in Omaha and Hope's like, forget it. I'm not working with you guys. I don't like this at all. So she goes off on her own and it's, it's, you know, Kublik knows what she's doing, right? Hope is going to go out. She's going to discover that you can't be alone out there. You know, she's been traveling with these other people for a long time. Going at it alone is just not going to work. And it's that experience, I think, is going to make Hope more willing to submit to the will of the CRM. Uh, And it kind of works because she goes out there on her own. And you know what Hope's whole journey in that first episode reminded me of? The time I hit my head on my, on the wall outside my house? Actually, no, but that is what happens to her. She falls down some stairs and hits the head on the, her head on the wall at the bottom and of the stairs. And she has, you know, delusions and, uh, you know, there's some serious shit going on there. Uh, you know, they asked me many, many times, you know, did you lose consciousness? Are you having headaches? Uh, is anything happening? You know, that kind of symptoms that she's, she has uh, after she hits her head are the kind of thing that kills you. Like there's some kind of brain bleed going on there. Uh, But then again, this is the walking dead universe, right? Where you recover from things rather quickly. So uh, I'm sure glad that I didn't uh, hit my head as hard as she hit her head and had those kind of symptoms because I'd either be dead now or in the hospital still. Right. Geez. I'm very glad of that too. Let me say that. But do you think with your injury, had you not uh, acquired medical attention, what would have happened? It would have just oh. healed really badly and you would have been okay eventually? Um, I'm not really sure. Yeah, hard to say. Uh, uh, well, it, you know, it's just a, ultimately it was just a huge laceration. So there's nothing, like there was no issues other than the fact that I just got a, you know, uh, a six or seven inch rip in my scalp. Oh, uh, God. In, in the skin in my head. So... Uh, maybe healed, it would take a lot longer to heal and it would have healed badly and there would have been a larger chance of infection. Right. Uh, you know, and I'm not sure exactly how I would have, uh, held it together. Mm. I, I don't think I mentioned this to you or to the podcasters in general, but after I hit my head and I rolled over and I put my hand on my head, it was bumpy because the folds of the skin had all pushed back and I had to move it around to put it back into place. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my god <laughs> yeah not sure was, we uh, needed to hear that but it was pretty uh god. it was pretty horrific i'm like oh that's not where that's supposed to go that's but, not good yeah so i i may have touched my skull Ooh, like I, i'm pretty sure so anyway 
Uh, yeah, so I guess I'm uh, uh, a little more cognizant of uh, what head injuries mean. So when she hit her head, I'm like, oh, shit, that's not good. That's not good. She needs a goddamn CT scan is what she needs. Mm-hmm. Uh, she needs immediate medical attention. And she was bleeding, and uh, and she only touched the blood. You know, she was bleeding down the front of her face, and the blood was going into her eye, and she just kind of wiped the blood away from her eyebrow, and then it started dripping down a little bit more. Uh, I, you know, my hand went right to the wound, not to where I was bleeding into my, uh, wherever it was bleeding. So that was a little unrealistic too. Yeah, fair. But this is all my issue. So, uh, what was your question? Uh, what, well, I, my question was, what did it remind you of? And you said your head injury, but that's fair. <laughs> I mean, you've, it's a fairly recent thing, right? It reminded me of when Luke was on Dagobah and he went into that cave where he had to face his greatest fear. Oh yeah. This, so remember the failure in the cave. This was hope going on her sort of journey into a cave or a school or whatever that was to face her greatest fear. And she faces it in the form of this woman, Candace, who represents what hope could become if she ended up on her own, right? Candace was this pretty feral woman living there alone who was desperate for food and shelter and all that sort of things. And hope has to face this. And then she does, and she comes out the other side and realizes, I don't want to be that. I don't want to be alone. I am going to well, for now, anyways, go with the CRM. Uh, whether she's bought in or not, I don't know. I don't really think so. Um, but but that's what this journey reminded me of. It's like, go face your fear and either overcome it or don't. And uh, she came out the other side. Yep. So maybe I'll become Darth Vader. <laughs> maybe you already are. Maybe. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that... That makes sense. You know, he had to go into, Luke had to go into the cave and, you know, he was on a definite hero's journey and our, uh, our cast of, you know, cast of characters here are definitely on a hero's journey as well. So mm-hmm. that makes perfect sense. Yeah, I think so. Um, so everything Star Wars, everything, everything uh, I know. Yeah. We, now we got to pick a Chewbacca and a Yoda. Well, you can think about that and tell me who's yeah. who. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, I mean, that's hope. I mean, she goes on to do other stuff in, in the, uh, second episode, but it mostly for me anyways, was her on that tour with Lila and, and where we got all that information, uh, which brings me anyways to Iris and Felix. So they end up, as I said, out in the forest and they encounter Will, who is, uh, Felix's former partner or current partner, he's just been gone for so long and they assumed he was dead. Now, he takes them to a place called the Perimeter, led by a woman named Indira. And apparently the deal with this place is that the CRM provides them with supplies and the Perimeter kind of keeps zombies and strangers away from the CRM facility. So they have this mutually beneficial arrangement because the CRM doesn't want people just walking up to their front door and the perimeter needs supplies and things to live comfortably in this little community. It doesn't seem like a very big place. Uh, Don't really have a feeling for how many people live there, but it, from what I could tell, it looked like a very small town, maybe five or six buildings, maybe 10 at most. Um, But apparently that's what it's doing. Yeah, the CRM uh, or the Civic Republic has outsourced uh, perimeter uh, duties to this this community. Yeah, I guess so, sure. Um, And to me it sort of feels like that Iris and Felix are going to use this place as a bit of a home base while they figure out what to do next. Yeah. And they could be living there for the whole season. I don't know. Or this could be, this could be it, right? And we hardly see the perimeter again. I don't know. So they, they are secretly planning the two of them, some kind of mission against the CRM. I mean, they still want to get hope and Leo back and stuff like that, but will, really discourages them from even going near the place. He, he seems to think it is just that dangerous. So the plan for now, as that plays out in these episodes, involves finding a walker that kind of looks like Will so that they can convince the CRM he's dead and it'll take the heat off them for a while. And it appears to work because they throw a walker, couple them down a cliff near a waterfall, and Lieutenant Kublik finds them, 
looking from above, she's like, yeah, that kind of looks like them. Um, although she does say they're going to investigate. So it may delay the CRM a little bit, but it sounds like they're going to check them out and realize that it's not them and continue to be on the hunt for them. Yeah. Uh, and that's kind of it for Iris and Felix. Now, Iris does go, sneaks off at night, goes and kills a CRM soldier. And she has realized, maybe doesn't have 100% confirmation, but she has realized somehow that the CRM was behind the massacres at Omaha and the campus colony. So mm-hmm. she she seems to know that now, which of course is going to play in and enhance her desire to just take them down, right? Well, that's the, you know, that's just, that's the mark of a genius, right? So most people have to go, you know, from a, a logical chain, A means B means C and a true genius can go from A to C without B and fill in the blanks later. Right. So that's, that's what she's doing here. She's just, she's like, oh shit, it was, uh, it was you all along. Yeah. And, uh, you know, well, she'll fill in the blanks later. She's, she's made that leap of logic that, uh, obviously we're not capable of making at the moment. But I mean, if you if you take that at face value, that means that Iris is a genius in this way. And Hope is also a genius because she's supposed to come and do all this science. Right. And she was the one the CRM wanted all along. Right. Hope. So we got these two really smart women who are are figuring everything out. And Iris is the one who's decoding all those codes and revealing the location of CRM fuel depots, they said, and supply, uh, I don't know, routes and so on. Um, maybe that, I mean, I guess that plays into maybe how she's figured all this out. She can decode their secret code notebooks, which we see more of in this episode. Yep. So yeah. I think they're probably both really smart in their own ways. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, it, I mean, that's fine, you know, but, uh, you know, lucky, lucky for them that they're mm-hmm. such geniuses. <laughs> um, but I mean, anything else about Iris and Felix? I, I wasn't super interested in what was going on with them. I must admit here, I, I found I got more out of uh, what was going on with Hope. And these two were sort of just doing their thing in the background. And I'm sure it'll be important later. But, you know, we don't really know how the perimeter is going to fit into it other than being a home base or whatever. So, um. I was also a little, I don't know, kind of surprised that Iris snuck off in the middle of the night to go like kill a dude right outside the CRM wall after Will said, don't do that. They're super dangerous. I mean, I know characters do dumb things all the time, but I wanted to see her not do something like that and, and work with the skills that she has, which we did see, but that just seemed like you know, maybe that wouldn't be something that character would do. I don't know. Well, she did it. Yeah, she did it. And here we are. Um, all right. What about Huck? So Huck to me feels like a bit of a wild card this season because we know she's Kublik's daughter. She is definitely on the side of the CRM, yet it's also clear that she's grown to like Hope, Iris, and the rest of that team because she helped Iris and Felix get to safety. She was the one who told them about the perimeter, I believe. And then she lied to her mother about how much the girls know. So she's definitely helping them. But I think she also feels loyal to her mother despite her murdering 100,000 people at these, these colonies. So... I think with Huck, we as the viewer are supposed to be wondering which side she'll ultimately fall on and who sort of which team she's going to join. Yeah, she's Han Solo. Uh, so she's chaotic <laughs> good, right? She's just doing the, you know, good for goodness sake and, uh, you know, damn the rules, uh, whatever they may be. So she's just doing what she feels is the right thing to do in any given moment. Right. Yeah, I, I guess so. She's she's a little bit chaotic, as you said. Yeah, and I she'll solidify into one side or the other eventually, right? They, they always do. Han Solo did, of course. Of course, yeah. General right. Solo, you know, he was obviously on the side of the rebellion. Yeah, obviously, obviously. So, you know, the other thing about and, Huck, sorry. And Hor- Hornberger is uh, Chewbacca, I've decided. <laughs> Except he's dead. <laughs> well, whatever. All right. Different take. Different take on the character. Yes. Or the story. Um, I was going to say the other thing about Huck is 
there is a picture shown of her in this episode with this dude. And the dude is involved in Silas's story, which we'll talk about in a second. But um, this guy who's moving, driving Silas around to different locations in the episode, in episode two, that guy, I didn't catch his name, but he has a picture of himself with his arms around Huck. So that's got to turn into something, right? It's going to factor in somehow. Yeah, you'd never show a picture that, you know, you never show anything that isn't meaningful to the plot. Ideally, that's right. So I don't know. We don't know where Huck is going to fall, how this dude is going to influence her or or what. If I had to guess, I think he's probably going to defect to the side of Hope and Iris with her, and that's going to help Silas's situation as well. Right. I don't okay. know. So what about Silas? They've got him working in this... Uh, I don't know, Walker elimination camp. Uh, we find out that what they do is they draw walkers in, people kill them with these really neat, stabby, twisty, um, like weeders that you might use in a garden to take dandelions out. Uh, <laughs> but they work very effectively. And apparently, and here's something that I thought was really unusual. They're trying to eliminate all the walkers from the entire state of New York. <laughs> Sure, why not? <laughs> why not? But at the same time, they're using these massive columns of walkers to eliminate all the living people in other colonies. It's it's almost strikes me as counterintuitive. <laughs> well, it doesn't make any sense. Or, or counterproductive, right? They're, they're killing yeah. all the walkers in one state. I guess that's their home state. And they're killing all the living people with walkers in other places. It's a little, it's a little bit odd. I mean, Alberta did it with rats, right? There's no rats in Alberta because uh, you spent a lot of time and money to get rid of all the rats in Alberta. Really? Is that a thing? That's a thing. Check it out. Okay. They are uh, very anti-rat in Alberta, and they will if they there's, there's a rat in Alberta, they'll uh, they'll go after it with fucking nukes. <laughs> well, I hope not. I mean, Alberta has its problems, but I don't want them to be nuked. Well, they probably don't have any nukes. No, <laughs> probably. <laughs> you never know with Alberta. Um, I don't know, but like, what did you think of this? They said they interrogated Silas too, but he stonewalled them. Uh, boy, am I glad we didn't have to watch, uh, Silas being interrogated because we don't need any more of that. Uh, and then this whole, this whole Walker camp and these three characters he meets, I mean, I have no idea where, where this is going, but for now, Silas is kind of a prisoner at the CRM, but it just doesn't feel like he's in jail. Seems more like he's in a labor camp, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, that's what jail is uh, in a lot of places, <laughs> okay. right? It's yeah. uh, forced labor. So, uh, yeah, I'm not sure. There's there's not a lot here, but uh, I'm sure it'll become more interesting as time goes on. <laughs> I suppose, yeah. Um, so I was also a little bit surprised uh, to switch gears again with how quickly Hope was reunited with her dad. Because once she is at the CRM facility, she's, they take him, they take her to him. And it was really super awkward initially between the two of them and kind of still is. Uh, but I figured they'd stretch that out for a long time, right? Keep, keep them separated from Leo for a long time. That feels like sort of their ultimate goal. Yet here we are. And they're like, yep, go live with your dad and hang out. Everything's fine. I guess. Kublik and they, the other CRM people believe that Hope is totally on board and it's okay to let her live with her dad. So I don't know. I don't know. Surprised well, that was me. the whole point was to, you know, get her back, get her over here and get her to do some good works with, uh, with her dad. So I didn't see that as a, as an issue. Do you think she is on board Hope? Oh no, absolutely not. No, I agree with you because we do have that scene where she's just sort of out and about walking around and she's making notes in a notebook about, uh, what was it, like guard towers and, and things like that. So she's she's writing observations down, I guess, about about their security and so on. And then, of course, she, she tries to separate herself from uh, Lila during the tour so she can, I don't know, sneak, sneak around a little bit and go into an authorized personnel-only door. Uh, right. It doesn't really go so well for her, but I agree. She's not on board. And part of me thinks, well, you know, I expect that. I don't expect her to be on board with all this because it's sort of better for dramatic TV that way, or presumably it is. But also, doesn't this make the CRM look kind of dumb? Like, 
she comes back after her little spiritual journey there and says, yeah, I'm, I'm good. Take me in. And they just, they just believe her. I mean, I guess they believe that that, that journey she went on really did change her, but does it, maybe it makes a CRM look a little sort of gullible as well. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's part of their plan, right? If they, uh, you know, she'll come back, she'll, uh, she'll come around. Uh, so it's, it's hard to distrust your own plan. Well, that's uh, a good point. So maybe they just kind of assumed that uh, their plan worked and that she is has successfully come around and everything's all good. Yeah, it kind of kind of seems like it. Well, um, I mean that's most of the notes I had on these two episodes, but I did want to uh, kind of ask you in general now that we're at the end of all this, what what you thought of these? Because in you know in the words of our listener Tallahassee's twin brother who sent me an email about this. He said these episodes were virtually unwatchable. And I don't think I agree uh, because so far I find this season way more interesting than I did season one, at least at the beginning, because we're past the the whole teenager coming of age stuff. We're into the greater machinations of who the CRM is and, and what they're doing. Um, Yes, I feel like maybe we're going to get this story at the expense of further good character development or progression for some of these these characters. But so far, it doesn't really feel like that way to me. And I and I kind of hope they can keep it up. So I actually thought these were two pretty good episodes. And I must admit, when I was writing that summary of season one at the beginning of the podcast, I felt myself feeling a little bit of... Um, positive nostalgia for season one, at least in the end of it. I know it took a long time to get going and I didn't like a lot of the beginning stuff, but I felt myself looking back on it fondly. And then I watched these two and I'm like, you know what? This isn't so bad. I kind of like this. I don't think these are virtually unwatchable. Tallahassee's twin brother. I, for better or worse, am already invested in season two more than I ever was in season one, I think. I, I I think so too. I think that uh, these were a little bit better than I was anticipating. Uh, apparently, in season one, I had completely written out of uh, memory, mm-hmm. so that's fine. Yeah, it happens. Uh, but once once I got up to speed, I'm you know I actually started watching the first episode. And I'm like, what the okay? I need a recap because I had no idea what was going on, and it did <laughs> jump around quite a bit. Right? It did so it was, early, yeah. So it was a little hard to follow without a, a solid recap under my. Uh, uh, under my belt, but maybe, you know, these episodes, this TV show is not meant to be watched piecemeal the way we're watching it. It's meant to be watched as a block. It's a limited series, right? Mm-hmm. It's just two seasons and that's it. It's a story that they're telling from the beginning to end. It's not an, an open, uh, an open story like the walking dead or anything else that runs multiple, multiple seasons. So this is just a contained one-off story. So maybe it's meant to be watched that way. So, that's why I normally I would never go back and watch a recap. I'd uh, I I it, it's just it's not in me to do that for the Walking Dead uh, universe. Mm. Uh, but I think it was necessary in this case, and I was able to justify it in that in that way that this was just a limited series and uh, that, and I just like I have no idea. I'm I'm going to be a complete fucking mess having to talk about this if I don't know what's going on. <laughs> yeah. So, well, I, I do wonder how much, because it's a limited series of two two seasons, I do wonder how much was planned out from day one. And I hope the whole thing was, frankly. I hope the well, whole thing Well, I would was. hope so, yeah. Yeah. But they don't always do it that way, right? Um, you know, and we'll probably, as this goes on, get a feeling for the answer to that question. Um, but it seems like now that it, might have been planned out from the beginning, right? They had the full storyline for season one and two, at least the major arc kind of ahead of time. And now they're just executing on it rather than trying to do season one and then do season two in two kind of bubbles and and stitch them together. So yeah, I'm so far I'm into it. So far I'm I'm liking it. I came in with no real expectations. Um and yeah, I think so far they've done an okay job. I have this feeling, and I hope this ends up being true, that the entirety of this show, both seasons, 
is going to end up a little greater than the sum of its parts. Like it'll end up being something pretty cool on the whole, contribute a lot to the Walking Dead universe, uh, inform things that happen happens in the other shows, the main show, Fear, whatever, and just be a valid contribution to it all. And I'm I wasn't feeling that in season one, but I am so far after two episodes of season two. Yep. So that's, that's good. good. Yeah, that's really good. Um, is there anything else about it that, that you wanted to bring up or or uh just general general feelings you had about anything going on here before we call it a night? Not that I haven't brought up already. Mad about uh, the potential Max Brooks uh, World War Z uh, storyline thievery. Sure. So let's hope that that's not the case, but I suspect that it might be similar anyway. Yeah, but fair. But other than that, uh, and it's better than I thought it was going to be, and uh, I'm kind of looking forward to how this uh, whole thing is going to wrap up. Okay, well, that's good. Uh, yeah, we have... I think there's 10, right? So eight more episodes to, to go through and, and we'll, uh, we'll chat about all of them. Um, but if you guys out there have any thoughts on World Beyond or think we're nuts for liking it or totally agree, then uh, let us know. Um, I would like to hear from some listeners on how this is going because it's pretty easy to have very different takes on the different Walking Dead shows, right? Like it's, it's you can love the main show and then look at this and go, this as nothing that I like at all, or like you and me sort of see how it's maybe fitting into the greater universe and, you know, come, come away with something cool. So I would love to hear from some people on it before we call it a night here. Uh, there's of course no, um, we're not giving away a prize for every podcast we do. Uh, we are only doing that for the new episodes of the main walking dead show. So there is no, prize to choose this week, Jason, but I did want to make sure I sent out uh, some thank yous to a couple of new people that became patrons this week. The first one is Roman K. Thank you very much for becoming a patron. And the other one is Brendan M. And Brendan wrote a message, said, I have been a loyal listener to the podcast since the beginning of season two of the show. I figured it was about time to become a patron. It's hard to think about how or it's hard to think about the show coming to an end, but even harder to think about the podcast coming to an end. Thank you so much for the years of entertainment. And that was just so nice. Brendan, thank you for listening and for writing and for becoming a patron. Um, we super appreciate it. Yeah, that sounds, that's really nice. Totally. Uh, so as I said, no prize this week, but keep being patrons, everyone. And we will start that again when season 11 of The Walking Dead resumes with episode number nine in February. So uh, that'll be great. And um, yeah, if you are listening, our uh, week or episode eight prize winner, I have not emailed you yet. So uh, I will do that very, very soon. I apologize for the delay. Alrighty, what are we going to do next time on the podcast, Jason? I originally thought, well, we got to cover fear. We got to cover fear. We need to get yeah, caught up. We do. But I've changed my mind after watching these two. Oh. Um, well. What I want to do, because World Beyond is a little bit ahead, there are more episodes available. Next time on the podcast, I actually want to do episodes three and four of World Beyond. And I think that'll bring us up to date. And then we can, from there on, maybe do World Beyond and Fear at the same time on podcasts going forward. So how's that sound? That sounds fan-fucking-tastic. All right. Awesome. So it'll be more World Beyond next, and then we'll try to catch up on Fear. Eventually, we're going to have to try to get caught up so we're not constantly behind. But, uh, you know, like I said, AMC is not making it easy these days, uh, but we'll figure something out. So more Walking Dead World Beyond next Monday, and uh, then we'll do some fear after that if we can. Super. In the meantime, though, everyone, like I said, would love to hear from you. Would love to hear your thoughts on World Beyond. May even do a little bit of listener feedback sprinkled into these episodes if we can. Always love doing that. So to get in touch with us, head over to the website, talkingdeadpodcast.com. Click on send voicemail at the top to record a message. 
or just send emails to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at Talking Dead. Alrighty, that was fun. I was going to do it. I'm glad World Beyond is back and I'm happy that I'm enjoying it. Yeah, I'm so, happy you're happy. Oh, good. I'm happy you're happy. I'm happy everyone's happy. We're all happy. All right. Thanks, everyone. Until next time, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Ciao.